Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Thank you for listening. I know from speaking with many of you that it can feel incredibly disheartening when we are coming up in the field of psychology and perhaps people are having multiple application um, cycles um, to becoming a clinical psychologist or maybe even other types of psychologists too and you feel like you're getting interviews but not getting not getting the result, not getting the job that you um, that you desire. And sometimes the feedback can be varied. It can be about performance in interview. It can be about, you know, academic skills and resources needing strengthening. And sometimes people just feel like they're not even getting shortlisted for interview. And it can be really disheartening. It can make people feel maybe this isn't for me, maybe I should give up, maybe I should do something different. Um, and I guess when I was an assistant psychologist, it it could feel like I was a little bit piecemeal, really trying to piece things together and convince people that I was going to be a great um, trainee clinical psychologist. And certainly I was one, um, you know, I did reasonably at that. Um, and I loved my assistant roles. But You might have heard there's a new kid on the block, uh, the CAP, the Clinical Associate in Psychology. Um, And you might be like, I don't really know what that is. I don't know how that would work. Um, I've kind of heard it, but I never quite remember what the initials are. Um, Cap. So just imagine it's a cap you're wearing. Um, And so I thought it'd be really lovely um, to get someone along to talk to us who is themselves a cap, but also works um, at a university helping to train future caps. I have invited Elise along, who is herself um, a qualified CAP, but also works um, in academia, um, helping to train future CAPs at Plymouth University. So with no further ado, um, let's get on. Let's meet uh, Elise and see what she and I have got to say. And I will look forward to catching you on the other side. Welcome along to our guest today, Elise Dyer, um, who is a clinical tutor and a lecturer on the MS. CAP programme at Plymouth Uni. Hi Elise, welcome along. Hi, hi. Lovely to be here and lovely to meet you. (laughs) You too. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, So for those who don't know what the CAP initials are, could you tell us a little bit about that please? Yeah, of course. 
It's a new program. It's Clinical Associate Psychologist MSc program. Most universities in the UK now offering this program. Um, it's a collaborative MSc apprenticeship program. Um, NHS funds this program. So NHS services work with universities, their local universities, to provide this um, apprenticeship program. It's 18 months and apprentices, apprentice caps uh, train with us, um, Plymouth University, and they spend two, three days in their workplace um, learning on the job, if you like. So they get a chance to practice what they learn in their lectures. That sounds brilliant. It's really great to know that such a programme exists, that you can be funded to do an MSc and also learn really valuable skills and get that clinical experience at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a brilliant um, opportunity really for people, um, psychology graduates. So only psychology graduates, I'm afraid, can apply to these programs because um, you are um, trained in um, clinical skills and psychology degree is viewed as a foundation to build on those skills. And ideally, um, apprentices should have a couple of years of experience in the field as well. It doesn't have to be paid um, experience, but it's ideal for them to have some clinical experience as well. Uh, the program was developed um, to offer opportunity to, especially people who cannot get on the clinical psychology program uh, doctorate, because as you know, it's incredibly competitive and there are a lot of psychology graduates and experienced clinicians um, working in AP posts or other posts, trying years and years and years to get onto the doctorate. But unfortunately, it's not happening. So we get those people applying to clinical associate psychology programs to become a CAP um, because CAP skills, essential skills are um, quite in line with clinical psychologists skills as in the core um, competencies are providing assessment, formulation, intervention and consultation, uh, so competencies, skills to be able to work with um, people indirectly, providing indirect clinical skills, if you like. So in that sense, it's quite similar to um, clinical psychologists' um, competencies, but the main difference is CAPS are semi-autonomous practitioners. So CAPS must be supervised by a qualified clinical psychologist or a psychologist, applied psychologist. That had changed recently. It, initially, it was a clinical psychologist, but it has changed. Now it's an applied psychologist. So it could be counselling psychologist or any other applied psychologist in the service can supervise a CAP. So semi-autonomous practitioners. Um, so that's the main difference. Thank you. So it's like, it sounds like it's kind of assistant work, but with much more structure and, um, you know, more, I don't know, more 
it's more applied it's more of an applied absolutely more applied more hands-on and a bit more autonomy compared to assistant psychologists I suppose um, because CAPS again under clinical supervision can provide variety of tasks in the in in, in a service um, assessment formulation intervention running group groups um, yeah you know doing um, integrative therapies because they are trained in variety of therapeutic models um, so they could really provide those interventions to their clients in their specific services um, so and because they are trained in a specific service there is depth of knowledge there um, I guess compared to assistant psychologists because assistant psychologists are usually just psychology graduates whereas CAPS as well as doing psychology undergrad degree they train in this specific program 18 months of program and they go through a quite um, a robust learning process, really. They have, for instance, they have 119 knowledge, skill, behaviours. They train in, they learn and they demonstrate in order to graduate as a CAP. Um, so by the time they complete the programme, they have various skills and competencies that um, I guess takes them a step ahead, if you like, um, compared to other um, professions at AP level. It sounds brilliant and actually it sounds like something I would have really, really liked um, when I was an aspiring clinical psychologist myself because I did feel a little bit de-skilled, you know, I felt like I didn't really have a thing, you know, mm. and, I, you know and it is hard to get therapy experience when working um, as an assistant. I found certainly at the time, I think things have changed um, a great deal since I um, since I was coming up in the field of psychology. But um, I really like the sound of this program and how it trains people and it gives people experience of what it will be like ultimately if they do go on to do um, doctorate. But of course, you might choose not to. You might choose to stay as a cat because you really enjoy that. Absolutely, absolutely. Again, some people, like you say, um, they come onto the programme with a kind of long-term goal of, okay, I'll complete this programme and I'll work in the field for a couple of years and I'll still go and apply to doctorate, which is fine. It's it's a choice. But some people do change their mind and stay working as a CAP. A, a CAP programme also another difference compared to other um, kind of foundational level professions, if you like. Um, CAPs are trained as band five um, clinicians and upon qualification, uh, they work as a band six clinician in services. However, things are changing and expanding, roles are expanding in services and there are opportunities for career development and applying to band seven roles as well. For instance, in Cornwall, we have a colleague who after CAP qualification secured a band seven position within the NHS and now they're performing that role. Um, so there is that option and opportunity um, as well. That's really interesting and really good to know. And it really does help people to make you know, and uh, earn a livable wage whilst they're training as well. So the, you'd get, when you're training, you get the band five, but you also get your tuition fees paid as well. Is that right, Elise? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, it's it's all paid. Yes. Amazing. That sounds incredible. Um, how did it come about as a as a thing as a program? Do you know much about the history of it? Uh, yes. Uh, basically, uh, Ken Laidlaw from Exeter University, and he used to be a, a clinical psychologist lead. But if if I remember right, he might be retired now or just about to. Um, so he was receiving feedback and he was observing that a lot of aspiring clinical psychologists are suffering, if you like, not being able to get in onto the program, feeling really frustrated, feeling really disappointed. And we're losing, and he was thinking, well, we're losing these psychology um, graduates and, and really potentially good clinicians. Um, so he and Mike Hutchinson uh, from Exeter University, again, I think they started talking about how about looking into this, you know, a training program where we train people uh, to work as an associate psychologist and train them within a shorter program instead of three years doctorate program, but still give them uh, depth of knowledge to work as a good clinician in the field. Um, so that's how the program started um, developing really people noticing people in the field, clinical psychologists, because both are clinical psychologists, noticing there's a gap in psychology field. Um, so we could really create clinicians who can work, um, who we can place them between assistant psychologists and clinical psychologists, because before CAPS there was nothing in between, if you like. Um, so that's how it was created, really, noticing that gap and witnessing psychological graduates and not getting onto the programme and feeling utterly disappointed. Um, so that's how it came about. This sounds incredible. They did a really good job there, I think. Um, I know last year it came as a bit of a shock in September, on the 1st of September, in fact, when um, the Clearinghouse announced that um, there'd be HEE limits for funding. Um, is this programme part of that as well, the Higher Education England funding rule? At the moment, it is, yes. So, um, yeah, if people are training as a CAP, um, yes. So they need to, after qualification, they need to be staying and working. Um, is, is it two years or three years? I think it's two. So initially on the 1st of September, they said it was like a blanket from then, didn't they? But there'd been a lot of lobbying. Um, and yeah, it's been, I think it's been overruled and delayed um, until next September to allow people a chance yeah. to um, adjust. You know, was that as much of a surprise to the universities as it was to us in the field as well, you know, when they just announced that blanket ban? Yes, although it was a surprise, a um, bit of a shock, but I personally think it's a good thing. Um, I'm not going to deny. I think I agree with the uh, idea because when you go on to a programme and when you train, you really need that consolidation time to be able to really apply your skills and learning and um, to, to, to feel really comfortable and confident in what you learned and how you apply that 
in the field, in psychology field. So I think two years is a good uh, time to be able to do that. And also, I must admit, the program, it's a brilliant program, but it's an intense program. It's not a breeze at all. And, um, you know, there's a lot of assignments to get through and a lot of skills to learn and to apply in your service. So it takes its toll, if you like. And I think jumping from one program, tiring, hard work, to another three years of another intense program, although I haven't done clinical psychology doctorate, I have friends who have done and who tell me similarly, it's hard work. It's, it's, you know, it's not a walking in the path. So jumping from CAP course to doctorate would have been really hard. Um, so I think it's a good thing that people will be forced, if you like, to take that two years breathing space and just work. Forget about training for a while and just apply what you learned, consolidate that learning and, yeah, perform as a clinician, if you like. Yeah, I don't disagree that it's not a good idea. Um, and it certainly will make people less impulsive, you know, thinking about actually whether this is going to be right for them and whether that is something that they want to commit for. But I think the issue was it took away people's informed choice, didn't it? Initially, when they said, yes. you can't do it for two years. And it's like, well, that's not fair, you know. Um, yeah, you're right. And it, it, and it wasn't sort of, it was just like a last minute thing it just came about but luckily they pulled back and they allowed people to apply and get onto the courses um, and now hopefully people have in enough knowledge and and they can make informed decisions from now on yeah and it's actually um an aspiring psychologist himself who really spearheaded that campaign to get that overturned Erkan. He did such an amazing job. Um, he's now secured a place on um, training this year as well, which is incredible, but it's helped so many people, um, you know, had that not happened, it's unlikely they would have changed their, their decision mm. at that stage. So, you know, there's a little message there that if we don't agree with things, we can raise our heads and raise our hands and, um, you know, fight for, um, fight for what we believe in. But, um, it's interesting to know there's assignments in there as well. Are there exams too, Elise? Yeah, no exams, uh, but we have um, we have variety of um, assessments and um, essays, case reports. Um, they also have, as I said, 119 knowledge, skill, behaviours that they have to demonstrate to their clinical supervisor in order to be signed off. Um, and at the end of the programme, we have endpoint assessment. So what happens is throughout a year, they learn all these skills, knowledge, behaviours, and endpoint assessment is set as a day or in two days, they demonstrate their skills and competencies that gain they gained from the program um, in role plays. So we have four stations, um, assessment station, um, governance, risk station, formulation station, intervention station. So they go through those stations and they demonstrate they role play with an actor and they demonstrate those clinical skills live and they are assessed by an independent assessor um and they get mar their marks as a pass or fail so i guess 
the difference of CAP apprenticeship program is not only they write the same assignments and case reports, but at the end they have that endpoint assessment process. It's it's I mean it can be seen as a uh, showcase. You're actually celebrating what you're uh, what you gained and you're showing off your skills if you like, but. Needless to say, it does create some anxiety in apprentices as well because it's live and you're role-playing and no one likes role-plays. <laughs> I actually quite like a role-play, Elise. <laughs> I was an anomaly in my cohort um, for enjoying that. Um, but, yeah, um, I can imagine that when it comes to, you know, to that, the four-station day, um, yeah. The anxieties are certainly running high, but it sounds incredible. And, um, you know, doing it with actors as well. I know some clinical um, doctorate courses employ actors to come in and do things um, on selection days. And one time they got told to pair it back because they were like really wild and too like almost like traumatizing for people. So they got told, maybe next time, don't be so. <laughs> we're not trying to scare our applicants. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, so the 18, is it an 18-month placement that runs for the duration of the course. Yes, yeah, yeah. the is 18 months, yes. So ideally, you know, maternity leave aside for, for supervisors, it would be um, you'd get the same supervisor running from start to finish. Is that, is that ideal? Is that the gold standard? It's absolutely ideal and gold standard. But as you know, in services, unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. And sometimes... It's unlucky a clinical supervisor may decide to stop working or get another job. And it does happen occasionally. It's not, you know, um, it's not too often, but occasionally it does happen that you can get a new clinical supervisor during your 18 months program. But ideally, of course, they would have one supervisor taking them through the program. That would be ideal, but I do know how how busy lives um, and conflicting demands work as well. Is there like a kind of mid placement visit, or there are multiple mid placement visits? Uh, we we don't have visits from university as such. I think that's the difference between clinical psychology doctorate program and. Um, CAP program. So as clinical tutors, we don't visit uh, our duties at all, but their clinical supervisor work with them closely. And of course, they're embedded in their service. So their their manager, their colleagues, um, their MDT is, you know, keeping a close eye on, on apprentices and work with them in order to help them and support them to gain those skills. Great. And are there teaching blocks with at uni or is it done kind of just the days of the week? Oh, it, there, there is definitely teaching blocks. When they start, they have a teaching block with university and then they go to their placement. And when they start their placement, there is one or two days of uni days. But yeah, it's mainly done in teaching blocks and then service Great. Um, I feel like I'm firing loads of questions at you, but I find this so interesting and I know our audience will as well. Are all of the placements in adult mental health services or are they across the lifespan? Could you tell us a bit about the nature of the placement bases, please? Yeah, sure. It all depends on which services need CAPS 
and what service and which service come to us to university saying can you please train our um some people for us some caps for us but it's across the lifespan it could be so for instance currently we are training adult uh, mental health services uh, people caps will work in adult services but we also train cams clinicians so i was trained within cams as a cams cap so we now train cams um caps as well but we also have uh, plans for training caps in learning difficulties um you know any other any other secondary mental health um so it could be across the lifespan elderly working with um you know elderly older adults brilliant so you'd know at the point that you were replying to the university what the program was and so which area you might end up working in absolutely absolutely in that sense again it's different from clinical psychology program you apply to nhs service so best place to keep an eye on is um nhs jobs because these jobs are advertised by the services so when you look at a job you will see which service where is that service and what they offer basically so it, you could be looking at okay well cams in cornwall is recruiting uh caps um you know apprentice caps to work within cams as cams clinicians cams caps basically or you could be looking at, at an advert to work in adult services or learning difficulty services so if you like the sound of working and training in that particular service and area then please do apply but if you feel like mm, i'm not sure maybe i i want to work in cams services not learning difficulties then you've got to wait uh, until cams camp caps opportunity um becomes available again that's the difference between clinical psychology doctorate and caps clinical psychology has breadth of knowledge you have different services you're placed for about four to six months um, moving from one service to another and it could be children's services learning difficulties adults etc whereas caps train in one particular service so depth of knowledge if you're going into learning difficulties service you'll train in that for 18 months and you'll upon qualification you'll work in that particular area if you like so you have a depth of knowledge not breadth okay so you wouldn't necessarily be able to apply for a um a qualified cap role in a child service if if for example you trained in our older adults because it's not necessarily transferable N- not necessarily but again there are talks about how the core skills and competencies are transferable mm-hmm. um, those you know assessment formulation um especially assessment formulation um skills and to a certain extent intervention skills so if it depends on service really there's n- no one would stop you from applying to a different service um even though say you're qualified as a cap within cams but you could go and apply to any other service saying well i've got the foundation skills i've got those transferable skills and i'm happy to receive top up training from you and maybe there could be an in-house training 
um, to add those extra specific skills to be able to work in that service. So it, it could happen. So there's no hard rules about you're qualified in this, you can't apply to any other service. Okay, that's really good to know. Um, and when people are looking on NHS jobs, what terms should be they, should they be searching for if they're looking for these training roles? Uh, they could use search terms apprenticeship, clinical associate psychology, CAP. Um, so I think those should bring up those roles. Great, thank you. Um, and I guess well, whilst people are trying to learn a bit more about it, they could look at doing a national search, couldn't they? So that they're looking at who's recruiting, um, what they're saying, what the person spec and the job description is, if they do want to have an overview of what's around at the moment. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, I think this is an important thing as well for people. Our programme is entirely remote, remote teaching, online teaching. And I believe most universities provide CAP program as a remote teaching. So they will be going into their NHS placement service. So they've got to live nearby their service, but they don't have to live near university. So we have, we are in Plymouth, university is in Plymouth, but we have Southern Health from Southampton area, or we have Oxford CAMS training with us. We have Cornwall CAMS training with us. So um, I think online remote teaching is really effective and helping uh, people um, greatly, really. I think this is one of COVID's um, silver linings, isn't it, that universities now can provide those online, fully online programmes. Absolutely. And it's all about improving accessibility for people and being able to fit it around their lives. You know, I'm a I'm a mother myself and I know you are too, and it just helps um, you to be a bit more flexible. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. I understand you were part of the second cohort um where you trained. Could you tell us a little bit about whether you enjoyed training, how you found it and all of that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I was the second cohort in Cornwall and in fact I was working as a primary mental health worker within CAMS part-time and when this opportunity became available I was I was highly interested and I applied and I I secured the position and I thoroughly enjoyed um, training um, it wasn't an apprenticeship when I did it it was just an MSc uh, degree um so I trained within CAMS with and I knew the service, I knew the people I worked with, so I was already embedded in the team, which which was quite helpful actually. Uh and and the training was really good. Um lecturers came from Exeter University, it was Exeter University to Cornwall to train us. It was back then, it was face to face. And yeah, in my cohort, there were 26 of us and we were all highly motivated, bonded well. It was really good experience, really. Hard work, um, as I said earlier, it wasn't a breeze. So, you know, you, you, it's, it's, you've got to be well organized and highly motivated. And uh, you've got to be on top of it, I guess, to be able to keep up with it. Um, 
but but all good experience you know i i would i would do it again and again so it's it's lovely experience i'm quite tempted actually elise lie <laughs> <laughs> up in Kuala's mind as a psychologist since uh, 2011 do you get much of a chance to do cohort bonding these days when it is online only because you you might be the only associate training cap in your service are you getting much time to to do any cohort bonding uh, yeah, good question. We have hybrid days. Basically, we um, we ask our apprentices to go into their service um, from their locality in fives or six. So they have hybrid learning days where they learn together and we provide them tasks on those days where they actually do it together. So then there's a bit of bonding as well. And most of our cohorts, what they do, they all create their own cohort WhatsApp and then they always text each other and, you know, talk and um, liaise and help each other, support each other. So there is, although, you know, in theory, it, it may sound like, oh, it's all remote, they may not bond, but they actually find ways to bond. Good. I'm so pleased to hear it because actually when I was training as a clinical psychologist, one of my and even when I was an assistant psychologist, my, one of my favorite bits of those roles was the relationships I made with people doing the same thing at the same time. So it's really important. And when we are trying to avoid burnout on the way up, um, it's really important to have peer Absolutely. support. Yeah. I'd love oh, to be a fly on the wall in those WhatsApp groups, Hayley's. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. <laughs> yeah. um, could you give us some of your top tips for avoiding burnout on the way and on the way up and through psychology careers, if that's okay? Absolutely. I, I guess we've got to practice what we preach as psychologists. Really, having a good work-life balance and making sure your boundaries. I love this word boundaries. So you know, if your working hours are nine to five. Please do stop at five, turn off your work laptop, do not check your work emails and um, really look after yourself. Have a bit of me time at weekends, spend quality time with your family, friends, go and do your hobbies. It could be as simple as just go for a walk and uh, have fresh air or go and have, I don't know, coffee and cake. Just have those little treat simple pleasures in life to keep you going if you like i'm lucky i live in cornwall so i swim regularly especially these days it's just godsend really after work i just go and jump in the sea <laughs> um so really claiming those times back like me times and making sure that you look after yourself and and yeah being organized does help with that kind of keeping a notebook if you like giving yourself say for instance I can okay I can do a bit of reading between this time and that time but then from 7 p.m till 8 p.m for instance I have my I don't know dinner with my partner or after that I'm watching a bit of Netflix um you know I'm I don't know I'm going to bed at such time and definitely not thinking about work or anything really being strict in a way that you switch off um, at weekends and be on working hours, I think it's hugely important. 
Really, really important. Yeah, compartmentalizing it. And whoever we think we're serving when we're working longer hours, we're often not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, boundaries are really, really important. I love the sound of you being able to dive into the sea. I live in the middle of England and I'm so jealous of that. That sounds incredible. <laughs> no, really good. I'm, I'm lucky. We're lucky in Cornwall. It's lovely. I'll move down. <laughs> I might do. I might do. I might look into it. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and learning more about this incredible training scheme. Um, thank you so much for your time. I know people will be super, super interested to learn more about it because it feels like this is sort of mysterious newcomer. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, it's been lovely talking to you too. And I hope it does help some people uh, to make decisions and choices. And I highly recommend uh, psychology graduates um, or, or people who need an alternative career to clinical psychology, if you like. Um, so, yeah, and do contact me if you have any, any further questions or if anyone wants to know anything further i'm happy to respond and reply as much as possible brilliant i'll make sure i pop your details in the show notes do you want people to start following plymouth university on socials is that a good thing to do oh it's it's an excellent thing to do it's one of the best universities i'm not saying this because i work for them (laughs) but no it it really is a brilliant program and lovely university really and we're a really good team all all you know we're happy to help brilliant i'll make sure we get the um, links for following plymouth uni in the show notes as well and tag you when this episode is coming out i've adored today i could talk to you more and more especially about cornwall that sounds incredible um thank you so much for your time today oh you're most welcome really enjoyed it too yeah thank you brilliant thank you Oh, thank you for listening. What an absolute pleasure speaking to Elise um, was and how good does Cornwall and the sea sound? Um, We recorded this on a super hot day in August. We were both melting, which is why we decided, or I decided, um, to go off camera today and just do audio. Um, By by the time we started filming, um, I'd not long got back from a run and got out the shower and I was like, it's just so hot i'm so hot let's just keep it um let's just keep it on audio i hope that hasn't altered your enjoyment if you are watching on youtube um so what i should say is just at the end elise said oh no i forgot to mention something um so i said i'd do it in this section so once you are a qualified cap you don't have to work for the nhs if you don't want to you can also work in academia so you can also work in universities which is what she had done as well um so hope that's really useful because it obviously gives you more more scope um, for um, future qualified work as well but how incredible does it sound I would love your thoughts around this episode if you wanted to come and join the group um, which is totally free on Facebook and do search for the aspiring psychologist community with Dr. Marianne Trent, and in brackets it will say free group. That's how you know you're in the right place. Come and discuss what you thought to this um, to this episode. I'd love to know um, what you're thinking to it. Um, has it inspired you? Has it given you some more information? Um, also, if you would like to join the waiting list for the next time 
um, the Aspiring Psychologist membership opens. Do check out the details in the show notes. Um, but I have loved today. I hope you have found it really useful as well. Um, if you've got any ideas for future podcast episodes, do drop me a line. Otherwise, do please check out the dates for the um, compassionate Q&As to support the DCLIN site application season. They are totally free to attend and the details for how you can um, how you can attend those um, will be in the show notes. But if you wanted to join the free Facebook group, it will definitely be in there. So come along um, and join so that we're nice and ready for when they start. Um, I will level with you. I can't quite remember when this episode will be going live because um, we've got some scheduled and in the can already. But um, the first of the live Q&A sessions is actually on the 1st of September this year when they open, which is Thursday. Um, I'm not quite sure when this episode goes out. Um, so it might be that you can uh, watch that on replay if um, it is indeed after the 1st of September. And I'm desperately looking around for my diary, but it's not in the room. So I can't I can't um, end that mystery. Um, but yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. If you find the podcast useful, please do like, um, subscribe, comment, tell your friends, and rate and review on Apple Podcasts would be absolutely wonderfully gratefully received. Come and connect with me on socials. Most places I am Dr. Marianne Trent. I absolutely adore helping you to celebrate your successes. Um, So do please come and connect. Um, Yeah, and I will catch up with you very soon. Don't forget the next episode of the Aspiring Psychologist podcast is available for you to listen to from 6am on Mondays. Um, But don't worry, it will be here when you're ready. Um, You don't need to set your alarm for 6am. I hope you have a wonderful day, whatever you're up to. And thank you again for being part of my world. Take care. To become a psychologist Then let this be your guide Filled with lessons and experience That will help you get qualified So come and take a look It's right here in this book It's the Clinical Psychologist Collective It's the Clinical Psychologist If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. My name is Diakalola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DCLIN site application process. 
I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.